What's happening, everybody? It's your boy, John of King Kong Carroll, and you're listening to Simbox Presents. Let's talk boxing. Hi, guys. Welcome to this week's episode of Let's Talk Boxing in association with Adrenaline Performance and Clint Patrick. As always, I'm your host, Luke, and I'm delighted this week to be joined by my new permanent co-host in Bobby. You'll recognise Bobby as part of the Simbox team. He's wrote numerous quality articles for the website, previews, reviews, and everything else. Bobby, how are we doing? Yeah, I'm good, mate. Yourself? Yeah, great. Thanks, mate. So it's an ideal time for you to jump on the podcast. We've had some good co-hosts in the past few weeks since you have moved on to Pastures New. We've had the likes of Tom Farrell, uh, Bobby Blundell as well, the ring announcer. So we've had some really good times, but it's nice to settle down with a new co-host. We'll get stuck into a busy week of boxing coming up. It was a busy week of boxing just gone. Uh, new British champion, some crazy scorecards again and we'll get straight into it with Felix Cash he looked spectacular in knocking out Denzel Bentley this was a fight that was 50-50 leading into it and he made a mockery of that it was a dominant performance from Felix Cash from the first bell to the end of the fight in the third round it was a brutal knockout I think the referee done spectacularly well to to call the fight off when he did how did you see that fight playing out was you surprised with the outcome yeah well I had I've said it, I said it in the, the group chats and whatnot. I, I, I thought Cash was going to be too much for Bentley in the end, but I thought Bentley would come out, look good, be awkward, be hard for Cash to read for the first three or four. And then I think when I thought when Cash started finding his jab and then the straight right, um, I thought he'd, he'd do what he did in three rounds, but I thought he'd have, it had been like seven, eight by the time he found that, stopped him late to mid to late rounds. But I just didn't see the demolition job coming the way the way he did it. Yeah, I think you know when you looked at the, the the predictions and the preview articles and everybody online had an opinion. It was a real trade fight. It was one that got the the boxing community, so not so much the, the the casual fan, if you like, in the mainstream audience, but the, the hardcore boxing fans were really excited about this fight. And there was Felix Cash late, Denzel Bentley by points, Felix Cash on points. But I don't think there was many people that predicted such a brutal and savage ending to the fight. And as I mentioned earlier on, I think the referee deserves a, a lot of applause for, for saving Denzel Bentley in effect because he took, a, I think it was four or five clean shots and he was a couple of shots away from being severely hurt. And in this day and age, you know, we know Felix Cash is a big puncher and we've seen the damage that boxes take in the ring and the after effects it can have moving forward in life. So yeah, big, uh, big hats off to the referee. Yeah, I thought it was a brilliant stoppage. I've seen some back and forth online regarding the stoppage. But for me, Bentley was just lucky the left left hook didn't come. He threw three or four, or even maybe even five rights. And that left hook was just, and if it had connected with that, it was it had been brutal. So I think the stoppage, it was perfect stoppage. He, he got in there as quick as he could, didn't let him take any punishment. And Bentley's came out since, I think he tweeted saying, I take the loss, the ref was the right decision. And, and whatnot. So I, I've, yeah, I've no, no issues with what the ref's decision, the way the ref handled it, and the way. Credit to Denzel Bentley for how he's handled it post fight as well. It shows that he's got the champion's heart as well, and he will be back. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. There's a lot of people that you know they can can be quite bitter after a loss, and especially when you're losing your undefeated record, as Denzel Bentley had lost his undefeated record on Saturday night. He's lost his British title. It would have been very easy for him to kind of hide away and blame the referee maybe and, and scream injustices, but he's took it like a man. He's took it on the chin. He's a very classy guy. We've spoken to him, of course, numerous times for Simbox and he's took it very well. He will be back. But Felix Cash, he's now the Commonwealth and British champion. There was rumours that he, he might have took the European route instead of this Denzel Bentley fight. So do you believe he'll go back and, and look at the European title? Do you think he's beyond that now? These talks of Liam Williams coming back down to fight him as the preferential British title challenger, as Frank Warren puts it. There's a lot of options there for Felix Cash. Yeah, I, I'd prefer him to stay clear at Williams for a couple of fights just yet. Um, as good as he looked and as good as he is, I think it's just a little bit too early. Uh, uh, Liam Williams is shown against Andre. He's a world-class operator, fighting at world-class level. And Felix Cash might be there. We don't know. We won't know until we see him in with a world-class fighter. But I think defend your British title, probably capturing a European in the process, two fights, and then I think he might be ready for Liam Williams or maybe Eubank if he if he gets past Morrison. Yeah, I think you're right in what you're saying there. There's, there's plenty of options. 
I think if he if he wants to look at winning that British title outright, that'll get him a lot of experience and and will then enable him to move on to the likes of Liam Williams and, and Chris Eubank. I think, you know, not to go too much off on a tangent, but what a great fight Chris Eubank and Liam Williams would be. I think that's more of a natural fight to happen moving forward. Should Chris Eubank be victorious on Saturday, a fight that we will touch on later in the podcast. But yeah, I think for Felix Cash, I think first and foremost, I'd go for that European title because it seems that he was, was close to that already. And failing that, these, you know, the likes of Danny, Danny Dignam, sorry, uh, domestically, uh, Lindis Udolfia, the English champion. So there's some good domestic challenges for him. And yeah, he's, he's he looks like he's the best of the rest at middleweight. You know, you've got Chris Eubank Jr., you've got Liam Williams, number one and two, depending on which way you want to put them. But then after that, I think Felix Cash is definitely the, the number one domestically, and he proved that with the victory over Denzel Bentley. Yeah, and I think the biggest thing he proved that he's closer to the top two than he is the rest. Yeah, good point. I think that's the biggest, I think that's the biggest thing that we've seen um, on the weekend. Yeah, let's move down the card. So Callum Johnson, the former British and Commonwealth light heavyweight champion, he was out of the ring for over 700 days, an extremely exciting fight to watch. He was in with Emil Markic. It was a comeback fight. It was his first fight on the Queensbury Promotions stable. And I, I, I love Callum Johnson. You know, I can't hide it. I think he's a, he's a great guy. He's a great talent. At 35 years of age, he needs to be more active. I think that was only his fifth or sixth fight in the past few years. Um, but on his day, he's, he's game for anybody in the lightweight division domestically and internationally. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying. He's, he's just so fun to watch. Like, to even take that as a comeback fight, he, he didn't need to take something like that. He could have took a guy that's lost 15, 20 and bowled him over but he took a diff- semi-difficult fight, a difficult fight for a comeback, definitely that um, and he's just exciting he even got caught with a right, wobbled himself and probably broke his nose in the process, it was a great shot but yeah, he's just he get he, he'll get bums on seats as soon as you get him in with the likes of Yard and uh, London Arthur Buatzi, them lot I put him favourite still. Like Lyndon, number one in Britain for me right now, just because of he's a, he's got the best win, and he's the most active. And but I don't know. There's just something about Callum Johnson. I just can't look past him with, against any of them guys. I think that you know, just to go back to the fight before we move on to potentially what's next for Callum Johnson. But that right hand that he took from Emil Markic, you know, that could have knocked out a horse. And I thought <laughs> very close to touching down and. Fair play to Colin for taking that. And then when he did force a stoppage, that was him in a nutshell. You know, it's shown his brutality. His shot selection was there. Yeah, there was a bit of ring rush. That, that was to be expected. But his, his killer instinct, you know, that's something I think that he'll carry up until his 60s and 70s. But moving forward, the likes of Anthony Yard, London Arthur, I think they're more natural fights to be made, given that he's part of that stable. We was long awaiting the fight with Joshua Boatze. That never really came to fruition. And now that he's, you know, he's across the road from Matchroom, that's not something that I think we're going to see anytime soon unless there's a world title on the on the line. But I think, you know, and it's only my opinion, I think naturally it'd be good to see London Arthur go on to fight Joe Smith Jr. We've seen this week that he's been installed as the number one challenger in the WBO ranking. So I think that's a natural fight to be made. And then... Callum Johnson against Anti Yard. I think Anti Yard needs to get this comeback fight under his belt. And then I think Anti Yard and Callum Johnson will fight. I think London Arthur goes on and wins a world title. And how good would that be over in the UK to have London Arthur, Anti Yard, and Callum Johnson in a bit of a round robin for the WBO light heavyweight title? That's a proper throwback scenario. And it's a, you know, each guy could beat each other. It's that kind of setup, and that'd be fantastic to see. Yeah, I agree. It'd be, it'd be brilliant. Um... I'm not sure Yard would take the Johnson fight yet. Yeah, not not for. I think he'll want at least two, three rollovers first. I, I, he's a very, he's a confidence fighter, Yard. I don't think he he'll be in that picture for at least to the back end of 2022. Personally, I think he'll he'll come back. He'll bowl a couple of people over, get his confidence back, and then he'll he, he'll he'll believe in himself and he'll believe he can beat the world. But um, with Lyndon Arthur, I think that's that's the fight to make. One or one or the other, whichever one gets it first, as as Arthur was saying on BT on the weekend, whichever one gets it first, the other one's first in line for it. 
Yeah, it's exciting. And as Lyndon said, and as Callum Johnson said, they both believe either guy beats Joe Smith Jr. So they believe that no matter who gets it first, they still get the shot in Britain or British Bout. So, yeah, I think the interesting thing is that we don't want to be writing off Joe Smith Jr. too soon. You know, we're almost giving this uh, a bit of a disservice to Joe Smith because he's a fantastic fighter. He's a very tough man. He hits very hard. Uh, he was not so impressive against Vlasov when he picked up the world title, but we've seen previously he's the only man to knock out Bernard Hopkins, of course. Um, I think Bernard Hopkins was about 120 years old at that point, though. Uh, but aside from that, Joe Smith is a, he's a very tough man. He's only been beat by the, be- the very best. And, yeah, it's no given that Yard, Arthur or Callum Johnson beats him. You know, I'd like to hope that they do, but it's not a given. It's not a walkover by any stretch of the imagination. No, I agree. but And, and that's why I would prefer Callum Johnson to go there and take the title first because I think he's got the style to beat Smith. I, I think Joe Smith Jr. comes in and he's, he's very, like you said, he's rough and ready. He's got heart and he's powerful. You can't, I don't think there's, other than Baturbiev that we've seen that could have gone either way with Callum Johnson, I don't think there's many other men in that division that can go toe-to-toe and swing it out with Callum Johnson. It's a dangerous game for anyone. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head there, absolutely. So let's uh, let's kind of move down the card and we'll go from the, the good of British boxing to the disgraceful and an all-too-common occurrence in British boxing. Uh, you know, let's not uh, miss out the Spanish show as well, the matchroom card on the Friday. We're not really going to go into that too much, but there was some shocking officiating there. And then roll on Saturday night and David Adelaide, the undefeated heavyweight prospect, he was in with Kamil Sokolowski. We know Sokolowski's extremely experienced. He's took the undefeated records of a few fighters and he's been robbed time and time again. And for me, Bobby, he was robbed on Saturday. It was an absolute disgrace. It was a six-rounder. And I struggled to give Adelaide more than one round. If you wanted to be fair to him, you could say that you know he won one round, he drew one round and he lost the rest. But in no way, shape or form, did Adelaide win that fight and to compound it even worse in the post-fight interview Frank Warren agreed that the referee had scored it correctly and that he's seen Adelaide winning the fight it's it's bullshit it's it's bizarre and it's happening way too often the protecting the the potential you know the protecting the undefeated record of Adelaide he's hoping that he's going to be the next big thing we know he sparred with Joshua Fiore Wilder um, and yet I just think that it stinks I, I couldn't agree more uh Personally, I give him one round. I've seen a few people give him, I think, the third, was it? It was, for me, he, he won one, lost the rest. Uh, and they weren't even close rounds. You're looking, you look for an excuse sometimes where you, the Golovkin Canelo won, say, which Golovkin won that in, in pretty much anyone's book. But you could say, yeah, but on the back foot, Canelo landed nice shots or he, he, he landed the better shots. He came forward, he pushed the pace, had the better jab. I, I don't know what more he could have done. I, there was nothing he could have done other than put him to sleep to win that fight. It was just, it was impossible task for him, for Sokolovsky. It, it was just, I don't know. I, I just don't know what he could have done. There's, there's just nothing. There's, there was no attribute that you want to see in boxing to win a fight that he didn't win when they had when they went face to face and um Saturday night. They, I don't see what Adelaide did better than him at all. Yeah, the thing. He looks so one-tracked. And don't get me wrong, he's in great physical condition. He talks a good game. You can see that the potential's there and, and why Frank Warren is throwing his weight behind him. But that doesn't mean that, that, you know, like we all know, muscles don't win fights. And we've seen Billy Joe Saunders recently in good shape. We've seen, you know, the, the epitome of being in good shape is Anthony Joshua. And we've seen Andrew Ruiz bowl him over. And we know, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to have a little bit more than muscle to it to win a fight and Sokolowski's you know he's not in the worst shape but he, he old man Adelaide he controlled the fight he controlled the pace and as you say there was in no which way that he was losing those rounds and he weren't clear rounds in terms of Sokolowski was dominating them there just weren't much coming back from Adelaide you know was, Sokolowski was old man in his way to each and every round in my opinion yeah and he, he weren't even off the back foot landing better shots Adelaide he he was doing nothing. He was—he just wasn't doing anything. Even his corner—you—you you seen it in in the demeanor of his corner in the between rounds, screaming at him, trying to wake him up. Um, you know how biased the commentators are on both BT Sky, where Dazen, whoever your fighter is, you back him. 
and they, they couldn't really give him a round. So I, I just don't know what the referee saw. Yeah, I think I, what I, even I, point I just, where Adelaide asked his trainer, you know, how have you got it? That, that epitomizes like that he he kind of felt himself that he wasn't winning the fight. If you're turning to your trainer in a six round fight where you're expected to win by knockout, and you're saying, you know, how have you got this? It's not looking very good. And when the cameras are picking up on that, the beauty of behind closed doors boxing with no fans and very little by way of atmosphere is that we're picking up on these little things, whether it be interactions between the ref and the fighters, the fighters themselves. We see a lot of back and forth in terms of, you know, the the the, the golden and everything else. But in the corners, it's the most fascinating part of behind closed doors boxing for me is we see the interactions when the, t- the going gets tough. And it did for Adelaide. And he's asking, you know, how have you got this scored? It's bizarre. Yeah, and I don't like his post. I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter the other day, saying watch it with a commentary off. Like, learn from it. You've got away with one. You've dodged a bullet. Hold your hands up. You don't have to tell us. But in deep down, just know that you've got away with one. Learn from it. Don't be coming out saying... He, he just... I don't know why he's, why he's even done that. Why his advisors have let him do that. Absolutely. If anything, with the, the commentary on, he's probably doing him a favour because he's the, he's the home fighter, he's the, the in-house mm-hmm. fighter. So if anything, as much as they agreed that he'd lost the fight, if you listen to Richie Woodall and, and John Rollins, they, they did say that he lost the fight in their opinions, but they were still quite favourable. They wanted to kind of almost excuse it for him, you know, oh, this may be why he's lost the fight, or that's maybe why he's lost the fight. So if you take the commentary off completely, you're going to see that he lost the fight as clearly as day meets night. Yeah, I agree. So let's move forward. We've got a big night of match room action this weekend. But before we get to that Friday night, we've got Sonny Edwards. He's 15-0. He's making a massive step up against Maruti Matalane. He's vastly experienced Matalane. He's been a pro since 2000. So we're looking at a 21-year veteran here. He's 38 years of age. He's only lost to the very best. He's lost to Denair. That was back in 2008. That was his last loss. And... He's beat the likes of Zolano Tete, uh, Jamriel Casemiro. This is a serious, serious challenge for Sonny Edwards and a massive step up. And he's, he's took on some good, solid domestic challenges, but this is a whole other ballgame for me, Bobby. Yeah, I agree. And the Denair loss was a cut that he was getting back into the fight as well. I watched it back not so long ago. He, he was coming into that. It, that weren't a foregone conclusion at the stoppage. Um, it's just a massive step up. And I... I Sonny Edwards is a very talented fighter, very, very talented, but this, I just think it's too early. I think it's a very, he's older brother against Casemiro sort of fight where you can look a million dollars, which he does, to give him credit, um, at British level, but he's not even surpassed European yet. And he's jumped in with the man. Like, he's not, he's not took the lightest challenge at the weight, he's took arguably the best fighter at the weight. Well, one of the best fighters ever at that weight. Is the Ring Magazine number one ranked uh, flyweight. So like you say, to kind of surpass so many levels, you know, he's not he's not took on really too much by way of fringe world champions, you know, or, or past world champions where you kind of cut your teeth and and, and see if you're at that level. Uh, you know, you might win the fight, but you, you're going to get some gruelling rounds in there. You're going to get tested. So yeah, to jump up from the likes of of Marcel Braithwaite and other fighters at that level to then go up with the very best, the very elite at, at flyweight. You know, I think Sonny Edwards, going into this fight, if you're a fan of Sonny Edwards, you're going to be hoping that Matalani turns old overnight. You know, he is 38, 39 now. I mean, a lot of tough fights, yeah. as we say, for 21 years. And I think, you know, every every dog has its day and every, every fighter gets old overnight at some point in their career. Sonny Edwards, he's, he's very flash. He's, he's very flamboyant. He's... You know, he's a better boxer than he's given credit for because you see his, his online demeanour. You know, he's like Marmite. You ever love him or you hate him. But he backs it up and he's backed it up so far in his career. And he's in... The thing that I'll give him is that he's under no illusions that this is a tough fight. You see on online, he says, you know, win, lose or draw, I'm going to try and take on the best in my career. And he's certainly doing that with this performance on, on Saturday. Oh, Friday night, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, and, and what I will say is if it's... I think Sonny Edwards has got the perfect style to beat an old man, where he dances around. He's very elusive. He's he won't trade if he don't have to. He does. He cares about winning. He doesn't care about putting a show on for the fans. He don't care about any of that. He normally does because he's normally too good for his opponent. 
So he ends up comes seven, eight, nine, he ends up start stopping them and stuff. But I think he his game plan for me will be don't let him get near me. Don't get into a technical battle with him, don't get into a war with him, just jab, move, jab, move, and nick the rounds. And that's all he needs to do. And if his legs have slowed even slightly, Sonny Edwards can capitalize on that massively. And I think that's his his way of winning the fight if he if he can win it. Yeah, win, lose or draw, it's going to be an interesting Saturday morning on social media with the reaction, whether it's Sonny Edwards celebrating, whether it's the, the detractors, the trolls coming out from under their rocks and, and pulling the ground. Because I'm on the fence, I can see why people love him and I can see why people dislike him. But at the end of the day, it's a British World title challenger and I'm going to get behind our boy and I'm going to hope that he, he gets the victory. Yeah, but I, I, personally, I like him. I, I think he's an open book and I can understand why people don't like his personality. But anyone that's open with the way they are and doesn't change for cameras or change for social media or tries to be prim and proper, I respect that. Be you if, if people don't like you and he doesn't care if people like him or not. Yeah, you know Fair what? Fair play to him. You know, he takes a lot of shit online and we know like through him and, and Charlie Edwards and his mother's been severely ill in life and, you know, she's confined to a wheelchair and some of the the grief that he takes over that. And then when he fires back, and he'll mention things about trolls, mums or dads or sisters, whoever it may be, then everybody gets the back up and they get butthurt. And you think, you know, well, if these guys are, are going to give it and you want people to be accessible, you know, I don't think there's any other sport like boxing where we get, you know, the kind of access as us as a media platform, as fans, as trolls on social media, you get the kind of access that's unrivaled in any other sport. You know, you can't go and do this in boxing and speak to the likes of Cristiano Ronaldo or even Premier League stars, you know, I don't know, a Burnley well, it's star, what, you know. Yeah, well, it's what um, Gary Neville was screaming about on Monday Night Football a couple of days ago. He was saying they need to run their own accounts like, like the boxers do and be an open book, but uh, that's a different subject. Yeah, but that's it. But at the end of the day, it all boils down to, you know, people are going to give it. They've got to expect something coming back. These guys aren't robots. Like you say, they're not socially... They're not social media accounts that are run by companies and organisations that are going to be prim, proper and politically correct. The guys at the end of the day, they're not robots. They are humans. They've got feelings and they've got reactions. And if you press the right buttons, you're going to get a reaction from absolutely anybody. We've seen it from Tyson Fury, from Anthony Joshua, from Floyd Mayweather, you know, from the very elite. Yeah. And now it all boils down to it. At the end of the day, Sonny Edwards is, is next in line and he's took his fair share of, of shit over the, over the years. And yeah, win, lose or draw Saturday morning promises to be one hell of a spectacular place on Twitter. But lower down on that card, Bobby, yeah. uh, a fight that I want to pick out off the card, one that's gone right under the radar, is Troy Williamson against Kieran Smith. This is a, an undefeated pair of super welterweights. So you've got Troy Williamson, 15-0 and 0 with one draw, and you've got Kieran Smith at 16-0. and 0. And, yeah, and I think the thing is with me, I think Troy Williamson, we know a little bit about him. We thought the Hamza Shiraz fight was being lined up, with it being under the... The Queensbury Promotions banner, but it's Kieran Smith. Now, with Kieran Smith, it's interesting because I spoke to our good friend Kieran Farrell, the promoter and trainer, and he trains Daryl Sharp. Daryl Sharp is uh, an away fighter. He fights anywhere between super welterweight, middleweight, super middleweight, cruiserweight, light heavyweight, whoever gives him a payday, he'll make it. And he's been in with punchers, boxers, fighters, whatever you like, and he says that Kieran Smith is the biggest single puncher that he's been in with. He didn't stop Daryl Sharp, but Daryl Sharp said that his punches were the hardest I've ever faced. Now, that's some praise, you know. People look at that and think, oh, it's only a journeyman, it's an away fighter, but who else is better to know about these undefeated prospects? Uh, they're going in with them week in, week out. And I think, you know, the bookies can't really split Smith and Williamson. I can't split them. And that's the kind of fight we need to be seeing. And it's gone under the radar. But come Sunday morning, when all the dust is settled over all the fights, over all the cards, this could stand out as, as fight at the weekend. Yeah, I agree. Um, I didn't. I didn't actually know he was fighting Kieran Smith. And I've seen the some of the interviews with Troy Williamson, and I've seen his obviously with Simbox having a close connection. But I, I, yeah, I didn't realize it was Kieran Smith who was fighting. Yeah, it'll be a cracker. I said that will be a terrible. Yeah, really good yeah. fight. I look forward to that. There's some other good fights on on that card as well, for Frank Warren and Queensbury. But let's get over to the Saturday night show and this fight for me with Joseph Parker, Derek Chisora. Whether you agree with it being pay per view or you don't agree with it. There's still a score to be settled. Let's go back to December 2000, October 2019. This fight was first put together as part of a joint doubleheader with 
Josh Taylor against Regis Progre, the final of the World Boxing Super Series. And a couple of weeks before the fight was scheduled to take place, Joseph Parker, should have been called Peter Parker, he gets bit by a spider mm. and it postpones the fight. If you like that there, that, that, I'm good for that. I'm taking credit for that there. <laughs> yeah, Parker, I enjoyed that. Parker. Um, <laughs> I didn't even put that in my notes. That's just come off the top of my head. Uh, but yeah, that fight was scheduled then. Instead, Chisora went on to fight David Price. And, you know, win, lose or draw, in the meantime, these have been sending barbs at each other at any opportunity. And it's always been on the back burner. And you just know that Derek Chisora, if he takes a loss or if he gets a win, he's always going to be entertaining. He's always going to be in big fights. So even though he lost to Usyk and he was knocked out by Dillian White, we still knew that this fight was there or thereabouts. And it goes down this Saturday. Yeah, I can't wait for it, to be honest. And I think we're finally going to see Parker in a war that we need to see. Like, Because for me, the question mark I've, I've always had over Parker is that when Dillian White put it on him early doors, he didn't want to know. And I just want to know how he's adapted that. And there's the talk, because he's still only very young. What is he, 27 or something? He's, he might not even be that. He is pretty young, though, isn't he? I think he's um, like 20, 29, but yeah, for, for a heavyweight, yeah. it's not. It's for not a heavyweight, not. very young, yeah. And and there's always the talk like, will he, will he become a world champion when Fury and maybe AJ go? He could be next in line, but I've always wanted to see him in with a nasty someone with a nasty streak before ever making that assumption whether he can be a world champion or not. Because if if he can't get past, if if he lets Chisora do what Dillian White did to him early doors. I, I just can't see I can't see where he goes from there. Yeah, that's it. Personally. I agree. And you look at Joseph Parker, the performance against Dillian White, and the big thing going into the Joshua fight before Dillian White and then into the Dillian White fight was especially with Dave Higgins, his manager, promoter, um, whatever the relationship is there, was that Joseph Parker is this Samoan warrior that he he's never been put down amateur or pro that I think they offered up, was it $10,000 or whatever, to go yeah. and find footage of any kind of knockdown that never surfaced. Um, and then he went into the Dillian White fight and he was dropped early on, as you say. Actually won a few quid on that, on him being dropped by Dillian White. And <laughs> it was, it was to be fair, it wasn't an illegal blow. You know, I think he caught him, was it an elbow? Was it a forearm that followed through after the punch missed? And he went down and it seemed to, for a few rounds, for a good few rounds, break Joseph Parker's heart. And that goes back to what you're saying there, that we were sold at him as this warrior, this Samoan tribesman that's, you know, got the heart of a, a lion and he can go to the trenches time and time again. But when the going got tough seriously for the first time, because, you know, Joshua didn't really engage him and Joseph Parker didn't really seem to have the heart to engage Joshua. You know, he didn't really go out in his shield. So this fight with Dillian White could have been his coming again moment where he would have put himself right back in the mix for a world title shot. And yeah, when the going got tough, he he got going and he didn't want any part of it. And it was only when Dillian White started to slow that Joseph Parker kind of became reinvigorated because when he was put down the second time, that was a brutal knockout, a brutal knockdown. And yeah. it, it really did break his heart. And if you're getting your heart broken by Dillian White, then Derek Chisora is a, a rougher, tougher night's work than Dillian White. Dillian White, yeah, he's, he's beat Chisora, but in terms of boxing styles, Derek Chisora is more rough, more rugged. Um, he's going to come and sit on your chest. You know, he's going to old man you at times. There'll be a couple of rabbit punches. There might be a couple of low blows. You know, he's going to swear, spit and rub himself all up on him. And it's not going to be comfortable at any moment of any round for Joseph Parker. And if he's not got the heart for a battle, you know, he's going to be found wanting. And in the ring with Derek Chisora, with that mindset, it's going to be a very lonely place. And we can only hope as fans, that, that's not the case because if he does go in there with the mindset we're told he's got, we're in for a great fight because neither man should take a step back. But for me, I think it's about what Derek Sewer's got left in the tank against what Joseph Parker's got in his mindset. Yeah, I agree 100%. There's probably not a man in the world that I'd rather fight less than Derek Chisora, to be honest. He's just that's an it. animal. He's just a nightmare. Um, I, I, yeah, like I, I think... Parker's probably massive. Bucky's favourite. He's technically better. I I think I think Chisora's going to beat him. Personally, I just I think there's something about let's the old cliche styles make fights, but it weren't just when he got dropped the two times against White that makes me think Chisora can win this. It was when he was getting ragdolled, when he was cuddling and he was pushing him against the ropes. You could see him kept looking at his corner. He was looking at the ref. 
he was taking deep breaths. He, he just, he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to be in that ring that night with Dylan White until, like you said, Dylan White gasped. He could get back to his boxing and show how good he is technically. But I, I, I don't know. I just think there's something about this fight that I just, I, I think Chidori can do it. I really do. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that are going under the radar with this fight is the training setups for both men because it's very short term with each guy and they've both gone for world-renowned trainers and, and experts in, in, in boxing with Joseph Parker linking up with Andy Lee. That's led to him being able to spar with Tyson Fury. And yeah, that's great work, don't get me wrong, but Tyson Fury is not going to be a carbon copy of Derek Chisora, but he's still elite-level sparring. And then you've got Derek Chisora, who's been around the block in terms of trainers, Dave Caldwell and Don Charles. Um, he's now with Buddy McGirt, which is a, a big move. And I think from this kind of aspect, I think the, the interesting part of that is I think the onus is more on Joseph Parker because this is the first time he's going to be fighting without Kevin Barry. I'm not sure if Kevin Barry was in his corner actually for the junior far fight, but this is on a whole mm. different scale anyway. But we've seen Jasora take fights with other trainers, last-minute trainers, when he had Dave Caldwell there or thereabouts for a little while. Um, so I think he's used to taking on last-minute bits of advice and at 37 years of age, you're not really going to change much with Derek Chisora. He is who he is, and it's more about defining you know, the finer points. Whereas Joseph Park, it's a fight on this kind of level without Kevin Barry, who's been there pretty much from day one. I think that's going to be more of a, not a worry or a concern because Andy Lee's a great guy, but if that relationship doesn't click on the night, because it's all well and good clicking in the gym, but when you're under those lights and you know the going gets tough, as we've said, then that's when the questions are going to really be posed. And yeah, I think it, that's, again, another, if you're looking at this as for and against with each man, I think that's an against against Joseph Parker because I think ideally you'd want to see Andy Lee in the corner for a bit of a tick-over fight and Derek there is no tick-over fight. So I think that, again, is going to be an interesting aspect to this fight. I think that's what the, the great thing about this fight. It's almost like an onion and you peel away layers here, there and everywhere and there's different points and that's always the making of a great fight. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I think... The, like you said with Andy Lee and Parker clicking, it the going will get tough for Parker at some point. As, as good as he is, technically, I, I don't care who you are, you get him which is over, you're going to have at least one round where you think, fucking hell, what's just hit me? Uh, and he just will. It, it's what he does. It's how they react to that. Like, how does Andy Lee speak to Parker and get his heart back in it, his head back in it and calm him down and you're in a fight. Like his old trainer couldn't do that clearly against Dillian White, he, he didn't know how to do it. Even the Ruiz fight, which he won the title on, did he? he, he for me, he lost that because he got the hometown decision. So, I think any big step up he's made, he's almost fought within himself. So, maybe the link up with Andy Lee could work if Andy Lee can get that extra little bit out of him. The, the Andy Lee mentality, the Tyson Fury mentality, if he can bring that out in Parker, you've got a one hell of a fighter. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and the thing that I want to put across here, you know, at this moment is that in no way are we, you know, disrespecting Joseph Parker because he comes across as a great guy and he comes across as a nice guy, but there's a time for being a nice guy and there's a time for being a horrible bastard. And in the ring, you need to be that horrible bastard. And yeah, by no means are we disrespecting Joseph Parker, but let's address the elephant in the room with Saturday Night Bobby. And maybe this is something we could have got into a little earlier on, but is this pay-per-view worthy? People are complaining about £19.95 Sky Box Office. You know, not too long ago, we were served up Dillian White against Alexander Povetkin. That was pay-per-view as well. We're not too far off. Anthony Joshua and Tyson Fury being announced. That's going to be pay-per-view. In this day and age, is Derek Sir Joseph Parker pay-per-view worthy? No, as a fight. As a card, 100% is for me. I think it's the wrong way around. I think I think Jonas and Taylor should be the main event, should be the pay-per-view. Um, but I, I think we've got some cracking facts on the bill. Like, I'll happily pay for it. Um, I, I, you go down the whole card, it's just, it's just fight after fight that you want to see. And even the couple of fights that you wouldn't say are a 50-50, Scott Fitzgerald's comeback's not going to be a 50-50. A lot of people were saying Eubank Morrison they're still exciting fighters, regardless of who they're fighting. So I think I don't think there'll be a bad fight. I, I can't I can't see how there is a bad fight. There's, yeah. there's a lot of warriors on the card for me. 
Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. You know, you look at the four fights, and I put this tweet out, and you know, especially on Twitter, more than any other social media sites, I'm minefield for criticism. And you know, you only have to tweet once or twice about the same subject, and automatically you're distinguished as a as a fanboy. Um, but I defended this card, and I think you know, you look at the four main fights, and we're going to touch on the other fights in a second. But Derek Chisora, Joseph Parker, Dimitri Bivol, Craig Richards, Marcus Morrison against Chris Eubank Jr. and Tash Jonas against Katie Taylor, especially. But you look at those four fights. If they were spread out across a month and each Saturday, they're all Saturday night main event worthy. So if you group them together, you put an undercard on there with James Tennyson, with Campbell Hatton, with Scott Fitzgerald, it's it's undoubtedly a pay-per-view. You know, if, if one of the any of those four fights was a standalone pay-per-view main events and we had a mediocre undercard, okay, I'd get it. You know, if you compare this card to the Dillian White Alexander Povetkin rematch, this card pisses all over that with all due respect. You know, in terms of fight after fight, uh, the prestige of each fight, you've got WBA light heavyweight world title, you've got an undisputed lightweight title fight that's been years in the making, and then you've got a heavyweight grudge match that on its day could produce fireworks. Again, you know, we'd all love to see this fight free, but we're paying for Sky subscriptions, you're paying for your BT subscription and everything else to watch all the boxing. Of course, we'd love it to be free, but we're in a world where, you know, money talks. And at the end of the day, I think it's pay-per-view worthy. If you don't want to watch it, you know, you don't pay for it. Simple as that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, I just think people, we all look at it as fans and we, like you just alluded to, we want everything for free. But at the end of the day, it's behind closed doors as well. And there's some big stars on that card. Dimitri Bivol will not be cheap. The two main, the two, the main event isn't. Neither of them are cheap. You've got five belts on the line in the women's matchup between Jonas and Taylor. That's not going to be cheap. Eubank Jr. is never going to come in cheap. And if you look at it from a different standpoint, it you can understand it being pay per view. I don't, I don't see. I, I prefer these sort of pay per views as opposed to the. AJ against someone he's going to knock out and then a load of rubbish fights behind it. I'd prefer five hours of genuine enjoyment for 20 quid than let's get through to the to the main event and watch a decent fight. Like, I prefer these sort of pay-per-views. It's just my personal opinion. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. And let's, let's get into next fight down on the card. Uh, one that for me, we mentioned earlier on about fight of the night, fight of the weekend, whatever it might be. But fight of the year potential for me and Katie Taylor against Natasha Jonas. I spoke to Tasha in the build-up. So I spoke to Tasha Jonas recently, and you know she's bang up for this fight. And this fight has been rumored and desired for a very long time. They fought in the Olympics in 2012. I think they even fought slightly before that as well in a, a bit of a prelim to the Olympics. Katie Taylor defeated Tasha Jonas, and she went on to win Olympic golds. And once they both turned pro, Katie Taylor in 2016, Tasha Jonas in 2017, this fight was was the one in terms of Eddie Hearn when he fully got behind female boxing on a big scale. This felt like the first genuine super fight in female boxing. And then Tasha Jonas took that loss, that surprising loss uh, to, I think it was Leonardo too. Um, or, no, Vivian Obanoff, sorry. Uh, she took yeah, that. Yeah. And it felt at that point, you know, let's be real about that fight as well. Obanoff is a serious contender. We've seen her come back into title contention, but such is the lack of knowledge sometimes of female boxing. That if, you, if you're not seeing these women week in, week out, you can kind of write them off. And when Jones took that loss, it felt like the Katie Taylor fight had evaporated. It gone up in smoke. Uh, Katie Taylor went on to win undisputed lightweight world title. She went up and won super lightweight world title. And she took women's boxing to another stratosphere. But Tasha Jonas, in terms of medals, accomplishments, she's you know right there with her. She's a flag bearer as well as Katie Taylor when you're looking at Irish and British female boxing. This is a historic fight. I think this is the first time a English female boxer has fought for an undisputed title. Uh, Tasha Jonas has been part of the first ever all-British female world title fight when she took on Terry Harper. She was the first member of Team GB. She was the first female boxer to go to the Olympics. There's so many asterisks and taglines you can put to this fight. And again, we mentioned it earlier on, when you can peel back a fight like an onion in these different layers, it goes to show how great of a fight this is. 
And I can't wait for it. I can't. Yeah. I think Sasha Jonas is the livest underdog on the card, and it promises to be a, a spectacular fight in one way or another. I agree 100%. Um, I, I've backed Jonas to win this. I, I think I put a tweet out, and um, I just think she could outwork Katie Taylor. I, I just, I don't know. Um, you, you don't know. It would get, probably Katie Taylor's biggest fight. Just because of who it is, and so Katie Taylor might have a, a different mentality she had in the last couple. Which don't get me wrong, is still a brilliant mentality. She's come a, come under fire in two great fights, and she's came through them and won them both. But I think she needs to step it up again to beat Jonas, which we don't know. She can do it. Clearly, she's she's unbelievable. Um, but yeah, I just think it could be. Timing, I think timing could be perfect for Joe Nassad. And yeah, I've, I've got a win in the fight. Interesting that you should say that. I spoke to uh, Anthony Crawler, uh, an interview that's going to be on the Simbox YouTube channel. And I said, going off a point you just made there about timing, and do we believe that Kate Taylor has peaked? Because you look at the two fights with Delphine Persoon, some people had her winning both, a lot of people had her losing one and drawing the other. Some people have seen her losing both. You know, really close fights, and in the most previous fight, she fought Gutierrez, and she looked spectacular in that fight. But she didn't get the stoppage. She threw everything at Gutierrez, and you kind of look at that fight and think, "Is Gutierrez that tough, or was Katie Taylor not that strong, not that powerful?" You know, you kind of it's kind of a balancing act. And in Katie Taylor's defense, she's absolutely amazing. She's a terrific boxer. For me, she stands alone as pound for pound number one. I think she she's above uh, Savannah Marshall. I think she's above. Clarissa Shields, and I don't think we'll truly appreciate her greatness until she retires and calls it a day. But we've got to look at this as a sporting contest, um, and I think it's, it is about timing. Uh, I'm still split on who I'm picking for the fight. I'm going to try and put together a Simbox prediction video. Uh, it's the last one that I've done because I just can't split them. Uh, but with Katie Taylor, there's also almost like a sympathetic feeling towards it in the fact that I think she's that good and she's that much above others around her weight class. Take away the Delphine Pursuit fight is that potentially we could have witnessed her peak go past us without ever realising it. I think she's a phenomenon. She's the equivalent of Mayweather or Ali in terms of female boxing. I think she's that good in her own right. And she's just not had the challenges. And now the challenges are coming when she's done all the work in the amateurs. She's went and won the Olympics. She's won world titles. You know, she might have had enough night against Delphine soon, but at the end of the day, the record reads two wins for Katie Taylor. She didn't put a foot wrong in many other fights. You know, you look at the fact that she beat Jessica McCaskill. McCaskill's now gone on to become undisputed at welterweight. And I think if she beats Tasha Jonas this weekend, she's solidified her position as an all-time great, whether it's female or male boxing. Compliments you can give her at the moment, which... Not many other females have ever been able to achieve that. When you're talking about the greatest boxers in the sport right now, you mention Katie Taylor and you don't mention the gender. You don't mention who she's fighting. You go through the list and you've got the Canelo's, Bud Crawford's, Katie Taylor's, and she's just in that list. Then that's just how good she is. And I, I think she's just on another planet for to the rest of the females that we've seen so far. The, it's obviously booming at the minute. I think we can see people that might surpass her. But for what she's done for the sport and how she's solidified it onto our TV screens every single week. And people forget, during lockdown, well, fight camp, the original fight camp, the Eddie Earn and Eddie Back Garden, three of the best fights were female fights. Probably the three best fights. And it's all came from Katie Taylor's shoulders and Eddie Earn's pocket, really. And the... Between the two of them, they've just took female boxing to boxing. It's just boxing for everyone now. And you, you don't have, you don't look at it in any other way. If two females are fighting, two men are fighting, regardless of what it is, you just, I believe that Katie Taylor and Eddie Hearn almost single handedly have took the sport into, they've merged boxing as one. And I think that's the biggest compliment you can give her, to be honest. Yeah, it's a great statement to make, Bobby. And I think moving through this fight, I think mindsets are such a, an important aspect to the fight as well with the fact that for Tasha Jonas, this is her 
World Cup final, if you like. This is the biggest fight for her. You know, you look at the the male counterparts and you look at Canelo and you think, you know, that's that's the fight for anyone that middleweight, super middleweight or like heavyweight, Canelo's the money man and Katie Taylor's the equivalent in female boxing. And in terms of mindset, Jonas is fully focused on this is my World Cup final. This is my be all and end all. This is my legacy defining fight. But just does Katie Taylor share that same mindset? Going into this fight, is she looking at the likes of Amanda Serrano or crossover fights with Cyborg or Holly, Holly Holmes? Uh, or whoever else they're going to bring over from the UFC, you know, they're going to be looking now for Katie Taylor for, for other challenges. I'm not too sure she's chasing paydays. She's about legacy with the accomplishment and achievement she's already gathered in her career. But is she going to have the same hunger and desire to fight Tasha Jonas as Tasha Jonas is going to have for fighting her? Does that make sense? Yeah, I agree. But that could possibly be Jonas's biggest downfall that she is a rival. This fight is seven, eight years in the making. It's, this is Kate, for me, I think this is Katie Taylor's biggest fight in boxing. In her, in personally for her own, because you, the way she talks, the way she is, she always, always about legacy, being the best, proving to everyone that she's the best. Jonas is the only niggling person that's been in the back of her mind since, like you said, since she turned pro. She bypassed Jonas because of Jonas's loss and she went on to win all the titles. But Jonas has still always been there. And I think it's a fight that Katie will have always wanted to do, wanted to win. And if she studied Jonas the way she probably has over the seven years, I think I think that's what can edge you towards Taylor. Because I, I think if she bang up for it in form, it, she's difficult to beat. It's very difficult to beat. But like I said earlier, I, I've backed Jonas because I believe I agree with yourself that I think she might be looking a little bit elsewhere. And this is Jonas's World Cup final. And she'll have studied every movement Katie Taylor has ever made in a ring. Yeah, I think... And if her and Joe can put that plan together, there's something there for her. Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, like you say, if we're being brutally honest... If Katie Taylor is bang on the money, if Katie Taylor is as good as we've seen her in previous fights, then she will be. Yeah, so if we're looking at this objectively as purely as a sporting contest, you know, let's be brutally honest. If Katie Taylor is as good as we've seen in previous fights when she's been at her impeccable best, then she will beat Tasha Jonas. I think Tasha Jonas has more to prove than Katie Taylor. That goes without saying. And I think Tasha Jonas has to perform better than she's ever done before. Whereas Katie Taylor, we've seen her best and we know that that would be good enough to beat Tasha Jonas if we're being brutally honest. So, yeah, I think that's the last thing that I'd say in that fight is that we're going to have to see the very best Tasha Jonas that we've seen and we're going to have to see Katie Taylor have an off night for it to be a Tasha Jonas victory. But something that could be, you know, it's not out of the realms of possibility for Tasha Jonas to win this fight, not by a long shot. Yeah, I'd agree with you. I'd agree with you. Uh, yeah, but I'm going to back Jonas. Personally, there's... I just, I just fancy she's going to do it. I just think she's got some. There just seems to be something there. Even was it last week, the week before, Ben fought, and you could see it in her eyes. She is ready. She's ready for this. And I think Joe Gallagher will be ready. And I think they're just going to, with the game plan and the heart and the desire she's got, I reckon she'll do it. Yeah, the other two four, the, the other two of the four fights that are kind of topping this build, it was all announced together. Uh, Dimitri Bivol defending his WBA light heavyweight title against Craig Richards. A real rocky moment for Craig Richards coming off a career best victory when knocking out Shaq and Pitters to now go in with arguably the best light heavyweight on the planet. I'm sure Arta Baturbiya would have something to say about that. But a great opportunity for Craig Richards. And let's be honest, you know, Craig Richards goes right under the radar, not in terms of just this fight, but also when we, we spoke earlier about British light heavyweights and this being a booming scene, you know, when we talk about London Arthur, we talk about Anthony Yard, Colin Johnson, Joshua Boatze, but there's also two other good, great light heavyweights uh, domestically in the UK, one being Jose Burton that's gone right off the radar and the other being the actual British light heavyweight champion in Craig Richards. And yes, it's a massive, massive ask for him to go in there and beat Dimitri Bivol, 17 and old Bivol with 11 knockouts. He's not put a foot wrong. He's dominated Joe Smith Jr. He's dominated Isaac Chalemba, Gene Pascal, Sullivan Barrera. You know, he's, he's performed at not just a level above Craig Richards, but multiple levels, you know, with all due respect. And this is one almighty task in front of Craig Richards. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, my, my biggest issue for Richards, well, my biggest concern for Richards is I don't think he's got the power to hold him off. I just think he's he's, he's a very good fighter, Richards, and he's powerful, obviously. He's a light heavyweight with nine knockouts, but no one's really dented Bivol too much, and I, I don't think Richards is the man to do that, I, unfortunately. I, I think Bivol, there's the argument with Richard, but I think I'd Personally, believe Bivol's better. I think Bivol is the number one at the weight, and I, I he's just, I, he's very usick like at cruiserweight for me. I think he's just going to start knocking him over, and the better they are, the harder will fall. Like I, I just, I can't see anyone touching him at the minute at the, at the weight. I think he's just that good. Yeah, it's, it's like a- with Simba Turby, I've had these rocky moments with Johnson and stuff. I, I just can't see how anyone gets near Bivol in that sense because he's just so set. I put the question out there today to say that if Craig Richards somehow pulls off the upset, a huge upset, and was to defeat Dimitri Bivol, where would this rank in terms of all-time great British away victories or, sorry, British world title victories? You know, you look at Tyson Fury twice, beating Wilder the second time, beating Klitschko away. You look at Ricky Hatton against Costa Zhu. There's some great victories. Uh, Lloyd Hunnigan uh, and Donald Curry, uh, many moons back, that'd be a fight that Ewan could tell you about. Um, there's been some great fights down the years and great wins for British fighters. Uh, the last time we was kind of in this predicament was Tony Bellew against Alexander Usyk, and we've seen how that went. And yeah, I think this ranks as one of the very best. I think similar to Billy Joe Saunders against Canelo, these are two fights that are coming up back to back where we could rank either victory in terms of all-time greats by a British fighter. And we don't want to go off on a tangent about Canelo, Billy Joe Saunders too much. So that's a fight we're going to preview but I put them both in the same boat. And you'd argue Bill Joe Saunders maybe has got more of an opportunity against Canelo than Richards has against Bivol. But either victory for me ranks in terms of all-time great British victories. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the biggest difference is, though, that Saunders may have a style. We don't know if he has, but Saunders may have a style to trouble Canelo. Unfortunately for Richards, I just... For any, any light heavyweight... I just don't see what they have that troubles Bivol. If you want to box him on outside, he'll beat you. To, he'll beat you to the jab. You want to go toe to toe with him, you won't hurt him, but he'll knock you out. Like I, I just don't see. I, I just, I just don't see him being beaten for a long time. I think he's that. I, 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 I rate him that highly. I think he's very, very good. You know, if he is as good as what you say, the only thing that we can hope is that if he does get the job done against Craig Ritz, that we do move on to some sort of unification fights with the other light heavyweight champions. But let's move on to Chris Eubank, Marcus Morrison. This fight came right out of the blue. I like Marcus Morrison. He's a good guy. I've spoken to him many times. We interviewed him in the build-up to this fight. And he's under no illusions what he's taking on in Chris Eubank Jr. Because, again, another Marmite character. You either love him or you hate him. I'm a big fan of Eubank. I'm a big fan of Morrison. But this is levels to this fight. And if Chris Eubank is as good as we've been told he is, or he's going to be, you know, he's 31 years of age now, he's not a young pup. Um, he's got to start knocking over the likes of Marcus Morrison. He's got to knock him over in impressive fashion. To say that in the past two years, or just over two years, that he's a two-round technical knockout win over Matvey Korobov, which was due to an arm injury by Korobov, and a points win. A great points win against James DeGale, but a James DeGale that just didn't turn up on the night and retired in the aftermath of that fight. That's not great for a Chris Eubank that's telling us he's going to stop Golovkin and that he could beat Canelo. With all due respect to Marcus Morrison, if we're going off the hype of Chris Eubank Jr. with Roy Jones Jr. in his corner, this should be a three, four round demolition job. Yeah, I'd agree. I'd um, 100% agree. I think Eubank, if Eubank will never be as good as he says he is. If he's as good as he says he is, he wipes the floor with Canelo and Golovkin on the same night. But if he is what a lot a lot of people close to him say he is, and that you do see him flashes, you see that brilliance in flashes. He's got the power. His chin's immense. He's quick. He's got good footwork. But he just he's never brought it all together. But he's never had a trainer, a full time trainer, or ever. I don't think was it was it Eubank that never really sparred as well. Um, if he can bring all these attributes together and have and have one of them nights, after, yeah, unfortunately for Morrison, I think Eubank just goes through him pretty early. 
Yeah, absolutely. And like you say, there has been glimpses with Eubank. And one thing that gets massively overshadowed because, you know, he's a polarising character. But let's go back to that Billy Joe Saunders fight back in 2014. And Billy Joe Saunders got the victory there. But the final five, six rounds was all Eubank. And on a different day, a different set of judges could, could have scored that a draw or, or, or close to Eubank. And I think his persona, his demeanour, his lack of activity really counts against him because he is a good fighter. He's always in tremendous shape. But sometimes you worry, does he want to live more as a celebrity than he does as a boxer? You know, look at the, the, the closing days of David Hayes' career when he was knocked out by Bellew in back-to-back fights and he was living a playboy lifestyle and he was on his right-hand side the whole time. It was it was Chris Eubank Jr. out in the Miami nightclubs. And you just yeah. think, you know, he's, he's dedicated himself to the gym, but we said it earlier on in the podcast, muscles only get you so far. And if you if you put a picture of Billy or Joe Saunders and, and Chris Eubank next to each other and, you know, you was to ask 100 people who would win in a fight, you know, 70% are going to pick Eubank, but you don't know... The, the technical nuances of Billy or Joe Saunders and the, the fighting ability of George Groves, the two guys that have beat Chris Eubank. And you just think maybe if Chris Eubank had dedicated himself to the sweet science a little bit more, maybe, because as we say, he bangs the weights all day long. His cardio is tremendous. He's got an engine like a Ferrari. And if he just fine-tuned his boxing skills a little bit more, then maybe that's what we're being promised, that he is going to fine-tune those skills and nobody better than Roy Jones Jr. to get him in that kind of condition. But up until now, I think it's left a lot to be desired. And should he beat Morrison on points? Should he be in any way troubled? It's going to be a tough sell for Eubank moving forward. And and Marcus Morrison, make no mistake, is in fantastic condition. He's took his losses. He's come past them. This is his World Cup final. He carries serious power. And in Joe Gallagher, he's got a a man in the corner there that's going to have a, a game plan. And if Eubank takes his eye off the ball, you know, I'm not saying Marcus Morrison is going to beat him. But it's the fact that Eubank not only needs to win, but he needs to win very well. And that's where the pressure comes from. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And as you were saying before about him not holding on his boxing skills, I'm not sure if that's him, his fault or his dad's fault. Like, we all know he's a gym rat. We know he's in the gym. He's constant and he's... But he's always done it by himself because people can't get on with his dad. They can't bring them... If you bring Eubank Jr. and you bring Eubank Sr. in with him, and I don't know if a lot of very good trainers are ready for the hassle, if you know what I mean. So I, I don't think it's Eubank Jr.'s fault that he's not been taught the way he has. And I think with someone like Jones Jr., that Eubank Sr. will respect him. So he will back off. If, if Roy Jones says, right, fuck off out my gym, he's going to go. It's Roy Jones, isn't it? Like, they'll have that mutual respect with each other and he might be able to be the man to say, right, come on, let, let's let's learn how to box now. Yeah, and if he is, you've got there. a dangerous fighter there. Yeah, absolutely hit the nail on the head there that finally in Roy Jones Jr., you've got somebody that not only matches the ego of the Eubanks, but supersedes it because they've got the ego, but Roy Jones has got the accomplishments to go alongside the ego. So when he speaks, everyone will listen, whether that be Eubank Jr., Eubank Sr., or the man walking down the road. Roy Jones speaks, everyone listens. And well, I think for me, a- greatest of all time. I know the man behind you, uh, Ali, a lot of people, but for me, watching Roy Jones is just a joy. I'm inclined yeah. to agree. He's at his very best. And again, we don't want to go off on too much of a tangent, but Roy Jones, at his best, he was elusive, he was powerful. And if he rubs off, not 0.0001% of his skill on Chris Eubank, then he'd be a blessed man. Yeah, then it'd be and Chris Eubank would be a dangerous man because he's got the power, the chin, and the heart already. Yeah, so let's move down the card. The other two fights that I'll mention, of course, we've got James Tennyson challenging for the IBO world title. We wish him the best with that. But as a Manchester man myself, it's going to be a special moment, even though it's behind closed doors and there's no fans. But Campbell Hatton walking out at the Manchester Arena, there'll be some sort of blue moon playing. I'm a United fan through and through, but I can't lie. When I heard the Blue Moon come on for Campbell Hatton's debut. And when I hear it on Saturday for his second fight, I'll get goosebumps all over again. It's such a special moment. It's such a special arena. Holds many, many memories of his dad and what a special moment this is going to be for Manchester boxing, for British boxing. And Campbell Hatton's got a lot of pressure on his shoulders. He didn't deal with it too great in his professional debut, but it's under his belt. And I think he'll be a million times better for that experience. 
Yeah, it's, who don't love the Atoms? Like, uh, Liverpool fan, United fan, it don't matter who you are, you, you love Ricky and you love, and you're going to love Campbell and he's, all the interviews I've seen of him so far, anything I've seen him do, he's he's just a mini-me, he's just everything about him, just, he's just Ricky Atten, it, it, it's just brilliant to see and I hope, I hope he does himself proud, I'm not, I, I'm not really one of them to put the name on his back and his dad on his back, but I just, Hope he does enough to be proud of himself because I, I think there's a fighter in there. I, I know he, he didn't look great, did he, in his debut? But it's nerves. It's his first fight. It's not even it weren't even in England, was it? I think Gibraltar wasn't it, his first yeah. fight. I, I think I think there's a fighter in there, and I think I think he'll do all right. I think it'll be a good journey to watch anyway, whichever way it goes. One hundred percent, and I'm I've not based is is my opinion on his professional debut. In terms of his ability, it was literally not stage fright because he got the victory and he performed well. It was literally nerves. You know, I don't think he's a terrible boxer. I don't know if he's a good boxer. I'm just taking nothing away from his professional debut other than that he got the W and we heard a bit of Blue Moon and we had Matthew in the corner and we had Ricky in the, in the crowd. You take nothing from it. He will be chalk and cheese come Saturday night and he'll be better, but that still won't tell us too much about Campbell Hatton. We won't learn too much about Campbell Hatton until he gets, you know, 12, 14. I know when he takes up a uh, maybe a central title um, or a English title eliminator. And at that point, then we'll see about Campbell Hatton. But for now, we're not going to see too much about him. Let him find his feet. Let him get a bit of confidence. And, you know, if, it, if we're going to dine out on the Hatton name, then so be it. Get him these opportunities because it will pay dividends in the end. Because if he turns out to be half as good as his dad, then we're in for a hell of a ride. It'd be a, a great journey anyway. But you can fully see why Matram are getting behind him because he could be an absolute cash cow. You look at you know, let's picture five years down the line, six years down the line, and you're looking at Conor Ben at welterweight, you're looking at Campbell Hatton down at lightweight or super lightweight, wherever he settles. Two guys there that have got the name, but then they're going to back it up with wins and with achievements. You can absolutely see why Matchroom are getting behind this because their names, their demeanour is going to sell. And that's what it's all about. Yeah, yeah well, like you just said there, you just mentioned Conor Ben's name and let's not forget how bad he was for his first five fights. So let's just let Campbell do what he's doing. No pressure. Go out there, perform. Enjoy yourself. Get yourself hyped up. Because it weren't until five fights ago, maybe, we knew Conor Ben is now on the scene. He's a fighter now. He had the he had the DNA. He had the heart. He had the power. Now he's got the package. Let's let Campbell look. Let him see if he's got it. He don't need us on his back because of his dad. Let let him just ride it out. Because Conor Ben, I, I could have tweets back from three, four years ago where I'm defending Conor Ben because I, people were just writing him off instantly. But you can't write him off because of his dad. It's just it's just not fair. He's, he's making his own path. He's his own fighter. And it just so happens he looks and fights very similar to his dad. And Campbell's probably going to be the same because he's been brought up around that style of fighting. So just let him have his journey. Let him get to, like you said, 14, 15 fights and then, yeah, we'll see where he's at. Well said. Then you can start judging him. Well said. Absolutely well said. So to close out the podcast, there's only one other fight to touch on, really. And you look at Friday night's boxing, Saturday night's boxing, when Dust has settled here in the UK, over in the US, there is the return of one Andy Ruiz. He was the unified heavyweight champion for all of one fight, he caused an all-time great upset when he battered Anthony Joshua into a seventh-round stoppage back in June of 2019 at the Madison Square Garden. And he was in atrocious shape for the immediate rematch in December 2019. He lost a wide points decision to Joshua in the post-fight press conference. He mentioned a lack of desire, a wish that he'd trained better, that he didn't really listen to Manny Robles, and then we've not really seen too much of him other than his social media activity. We've seen that he's linked up with Eddie Rowan also, who is the best trainer on the planet on form with the likes of Ryan Garcia, Frankie Sanchez, Canelo, Oscar Valdez. And we've seen Andy Ruiz has lost a lot of weight. And we know he plays the angle games well. We've seen him on Instagram. He takes picture pictures better than your favourite uh, page three model. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to sell himself. And... But it all boils down to, at the end of the day, if he's got Eddie Reynoso in his corner, if he's 
trimmed himself down into some kind of fighting shape. They're saying that he's lost between 30 and 50 pounds, which is a tremendous achievement. Andy Ruiz at heavyweight is a problem. And for me, it starts on Saturday night with a quick and efficient knockout of a 40-year-old Chris Ariola, who even at his best wouldn't have been too much of a match for Andy Ruiz. Yeah, I agree. Andy Ruiz with the Canelo style is a scary prospect, isn't it? Like, if he can get himself, like you said, he's never going to aesthetically look good. But if he can get himself, like you said, to a fighting weight, even the weight he fought Parker at previously or Joshua won, it, it don't look the best, but he can still move. He's still quick. It's, it's not a hindrance to him, really. Like, but if he can get to a fighting weight, he could be da- he could be a dangerous prospect in the heavyweight division. Like he, he, Anthony Joshua might get more respect in five years' time than he gets now, just because of what Ruiz could do in these five years under and also. Yeah, it's exciting time. So we look forward to that fight to close out a busy weekend of boxing. It all starts on Friday night, plays through Saturday night into the early hours of Sunday morning with Ruiz Ariola. There's plenty of Simbox preview content with our prediction pieces on YouTube. We've got a preview article out for the matchroom card for the Ruiz and Ariola card with the podcast. And Bobby, it's been a pleasure to chat boxing with you tonight. It's a pleasure to have you as the co-host on the Let's Talk Boxing podcast moving forward. And I'll catch up with you again next week. Oh, my pleasure, mate. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Make sure you check out Simbox across social media and subscribe to the Simbox YouTube channel.